Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This episode is sponsored by Vivo Life. If you want to give yourself a boost, try Vivo Life's multi-nutrient supplement, Thrive. We all know the importance of a healthy diet, but sometimes our busy lifestyles mean that it can be difficult to get all the nutrients that our body needs every day. This is why I'm so happy to have found Vivo Life's Thrive, a revolutionary health supplement that has all the power of a multivitamin, but is a plant-based blend of vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and superfoods expertly formulated by nutritionists. Thrive is packed with 12 organic fruits and vegetables, medicinal mushrooms, and 15 key vitamins and minerals to boost your immune system and strengthen your natural defences. There are also 10 billion probiotics in each scoop. Try Thrive today and use the code TALKINGTASTEBUDS at the checkout to receive 10% off your order. Welcome back to Talking Taste Buds Season 6. I'm Venetia Lamanna and in this series I chat to inspiring thinkers and leaders who encourage people like you and me to live a conscious and full life. If you're new here, please do subscribe, rate and review. It makes a massive difference in chart positions and ultimately getting the word of the podcast out there. Kimberly Wilson is a chartered psychologist and visiting lecturer working in private practice in central London. Her work looks at the role food and lifestyle plays in our mental health, including disordered eating, the gut-brain axis and our emotional relationship with food. Her debut book, How to Build a Healthy Brain, Reduce Stress, Anxiety and Depression and Future-Proof Your Brain is available now and I cannot recommend it enough. I've left a link to it in the show notes. Last week, I caught up with Kimberly on video chat to bring you this episode on mental health, brain function, and how we can look after ourselves during isolation, touching on social media, the news, sleep, food, exercise, and much more. Kimberly gives us so much useful and actionable advice in this episode, for which I'm so grateful. Without further ado, here is Kimberly Wilson on Talking Taste Buds. start as we always do what did you have for breakfast so this morning I had uh, multi-grain porridge with blueberries and banana uh, a little bit of cinnamon so yeah a nice oaty way to start the day I, I too had oats this morning can't get enough of them um, now I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey I'd love to hear um, about where you grew up and also the kind of food you grew up eating and your strongest memories of food and whether or not you kind of cared about food when you were growing up um so I'm a Londoner (laughs) through and through um and I grew up eating a mixture of West Indian food and uh, British food uh because my parents from the West well my grandparents from the West Indies um and so for me it was always a mixture of those really familiar family foods you know jerk chicken and fried chicken fried fish rice and peas um ackee and saltfish and then you know 
well, British and, and Mediterranean foods, pastas and um, cottage pies and all of those sorts of things. And obviously a hybrid of the two. So everything was, was always, always a little bit spicier. <laughs> and there was this, it was really lovely. Um, me and a friend of mine and he's uh, Pakistani by background. And we were talking about how both of our respective communities add onions and spices to baked beans. Like it was just a natural thing for us to do. Um, so that's uh kind of my food history i i think i've always i've always liked food like i've never been i was never a fussy eater um i always liked food enjoyed food um and then i think as i got older i was interested in the processes of food and i think with that mixed cultural heritage um, always interested in the way that different people ate and different types of food and why certain foods were common from different parts of the world and what they began to to mean to people and I remember even at nursery I had a like, really cool nursery where we for Chinese New Year we were all of us so we we're all kind of a mixed group of children mixed heritage um, but we were all taught to use chopsticks um, you know because we were going through and experiencing the foods and cultures of different um, members of the group so yeah food has always been that for me a, a kind of window or doorway into culture and heritage and, and other people's stories I absolutely love that and I think we can already hear how intelligent and analytical your mind is so when was it that you decided you wanted to get into psychology and when did your kind of fascination with the brain and the mind begin so pretty early. Um, so there's, I kind of say in the kind of opening page of my book, there's a lot of neurological illness in my family. And so I grew up with this very automatic, very present awareness of brains, really. Like I, I was aware that the brain is a thing and stuff happens in it and some of that stuff is good and some of it is not good and it can come out in this way you know in a very kind of simplistic understanding of it so I guess I always had an awareness and then as I as I got older I suppose that puts you in a bit of an analytical position as a student and then I did um, a level psychology was the first opportunity to really study it and just loved it like I was just fascinated and they always start you with the good stuff they always start you with what was at the time called abnormal psychology um, and you get to hear about really interesting strain syndromes like um capgrass syndrome and you know where people believe that they're dead um yep wow. <laughs> and you know things like phantom limb where people can still continue to have sensation in an amputated limb and it's kind of all of this really fascinating uh, information about what is the most complex organ in the entire universe you know the most complex system known to man but resides inside your own head and I love that kind of contrast is that it's so complex it's so unknown but we each have one isn't it amazing um so I knew very early on that I wanted to go into psychology um so yeah as I said I, I, I chose it at a level because I thought I'm very interested in this and then it was a very very straight route for me I kind of did my levels did my undergrad then came back because I did my undergrad up in the north and then came back and did my postgrad and then another master's 
um, and then started working. I loved hearing about how you've kind of been on this mission for a while and you've been so kind of clear on what you wanted to do. Mm. And I am so grateful to have a copy of your book, How to Build a Healthy Brain. I should say that this was a pre-release copy. So I feel like I am in The Devil Wears Prada with that pre-release copy of the Harry Potter, Harry Potter manuscript. Uh, that's why I felt when I received it anyway. I was like, I am ahead of the curve with this. I loved it. Um, but it's such an incredible book and it's so dense and I couldn't believe one of the stats or one of the facts that you kind of lead with in the book which is in 10 years depression will be the leading leading cause of global disease burden which is a measure of how much an illness affects the quality of life life expects expectancy and the economy mm-hmm. so why is our lack of understanding and treatment of mental health having such a huge impact okay (laughs) (laughs) that's a big old question i think there are a few reasons um, that despite being one of the leading causes of disease and disability across the world not just in the uk across the world that the brain is neglected and i think part of it is historical so part of it is because we have this idea of the mind being separate being ethereal somewhere out there disconnected from the body and therefore if something goes wrong with the mind then it can't have anything to do with the body we can't fix it through normal means we have to pursue other means right so right right in the beginning that used to be possession ideas of possession and demons and then it was you know humors and all of this sort of stuff rather than this is an organ the mind is a function of the brain the brain is an organ and therefore if there's something wrong with the mind we need to pay some attention to the organ that underlies it so there's a bit of this separation um we call it a cartesian dualism between the brain and the body and what that means is that it just gets neglected people just don't think about it and it's the brain on top of that is very out of sight out of mind right so if you start to perhaps not look after yourself, the effects of that show very quickly in your body, right? Whether it's in changes in your, I don't know, skin texture, or if you put on or lose weight, all sorts of things, it's it's very evident. But because your brain is hidden behind your skull, you know, you're not looking at it, you can't see it, it's much less available. You can't look at the signs and think, oh, my brain is struggling, maybe I should look after it a little bit better. So I think that's the second reason it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And then I think the third reason is just the pervasive stigma around mental health, mental illness. Um, We still, in this very, very bizarre way, feel as though it's a moral failing if you have a mental health concern. You know, as if it's that you, you just haven't been strong enough, you just haven't tried enough you have a weak constitution there's something wrong with you and it's it's so bizarre because as i say the brain is the most complex organ in the world right it's it's more complex than your phone and as soon as your phone breaks down you look on web, online for ways to fix it you take it to the shop you know you you realize that it's a complex thing you can't fix it yourself so you better take it to someone trained to do it but bizarrely with the brain We say, well, I am my brain, I am me, and therefore I should be able to fix it from the inside. And so it's this really 
strange misunderstanding about how the brain works, how complex it is, how little insight we have into our own minds that makes people think, well, if something goes wrong with my brain, I should just push through rather than treat it like any other health condition and go and see a professional as soon as possible. There's so much mental health advocacy now online and I do think there has been a real shift in us talking about our mental health. Do you feel encouraged by that kind of movement and also do you have any concerns about it? Um, so I think as with many things there are positives and negatives so I think it's great particularly with higher profile people talking about the realities of of mental health concerns because one of the things as i say is that it, it kind of people take the attitude of mental illness as a moral failing um but we look up to our celebrities our stars we we bestow them with a greater sense of moral fortitude and you know goodness and so if someone in that position someone who is a role model can say well this happened to me then it really does i think help to break down the, the stigma and the boundaries um, that hold people back from talking about it or, or seeking help. Um, I think where that crosses over into being less helpful and possibly, possibly dangerous is when someone in that position, particularly someone with a big following, says, well, this is what worked for me and therefore you should do this. Um, and, and I... You know, I accept that people don't do it maliciously and they're genuinely trying to help, but it comes down to the kind of Dunning-Kruger effect, which is you don't know what you don't know. And so if you have had your own experience with depression and maybe, I don't know, doing an exercise regime or you know whatever helped you, that's fantastic. And that's a useful piece of information that we can put together into a bigger kind of uh, body of information for the general public. But it doesn't mean that all depression is fixed with that thing. Um, and, and it can be quite dangerous to start to suggest those kinds of things because when people feel bad, and if they don't feel in a position to be able to ask a professional for help, if they feel very ashamed about it, they will try to fix it by themselves. And they will go to people with big followings and, and take their advice and both parties might not know that they're completely missing the mark and so that's when it becomes dangerous because the longer we leave a mental health condition without the proper treatment the more entrenched it becomes the harder it is to come back to baseline and actually the longer the person suffers so it's it's pluses and minuses so it's good to kind of feel like i think it's probably good in the sense that you realize that you're not alone and that everyone has their own struggles but mm -hmm. not but to know that not one size fits all when it comes to mental health and to seek out your own help cool perfect so tell us about your whole body mental health philosophy so it comes down to the basic idea that this historical way that we've looked at the brain you know as separate from the body is this kind of brain in a jar doesn't make sense it's completely wrong <laughs> um, and we need to stop doing that if we're going to help people more people um, achieve real recovery from mental illness because one of the things that happens with mental illness is that whilst we try to cure or to put physical illnesses into remission right so if someone has 
um, I don't know, someone is at risk of diabetes, for example, we might say, here's the things you need to do, you know, change your diet, exercise more, reduce these, these risk factors, and we'll get your blood glucose back to a normal level. That's what we try to do with physical illness. What we try to do for the most part with mental illness is to stop it getting worse, right? We, we don't come to a position of, oh, we can get you back to a place where you feel good. We just go, oh, well, we'll stop you, we'll, we'll stop your depression from becoming extreme or severe or hugely intense. We don't take that position of, we think you can recover from this. We think you can come back to a place where you don't feel chronically depressed all the time. Um, I think that does patients and clients a massive disservice. Um, and I think it also, by only looking at the brain separately, misses all of the complex, but really well established ways that the body affects the brain. The way that your food and your nutrition and the, the uh, nutrients that you can take in affects the brain, how your gut microbiome can affect the conditions in your body and that that can affect the brain, how levels of exercise can protect you from depression. All of these things are well established in the literature. We, we know it, it's been there for years and years, yet we don't incorporate the body when we're thinking about improving people's mental health. It doesn't make sense to me. And I think it leaves people with huge chunks of information missing from their care plans. Absolutely. And that leads us really nicely on to the kind of next set of questions, which I have framed. They're all about overall overall well-being, the overall well-being that you've just spoken about, but I'm kind of putting an isolation spin on them because of the time that we're currently in. Of course. Um, (laughs) But even if you're listening when we're not in lockdown, which will hopefully be sooner than we all expect, um, the answers will absolutely still be relevant because this is overall health health forever, not just in lockdown, but that's the Mm. kind of spin that I'd love us to kind of focus on a little bit. Sure. So how can we protect our mental health when we're isolating and when we are kind of more attached to our devices than we usually would be because we want to feel connected, but Mm. the news is just so overwhelming and perhaps we could talk a little bit about social media and kind of boundaries that we mm-hmm. should be setting as well. I mean, is this a time to be online all the time? It's kind of really hard to strike that balance. Yeah, I, I yeah, so there's lots of things to think about there. And I think, and I've certainly seen it in, so we went, I don't know when this is going out, but we went officially into lockdown yesterday, but it's been coming, I think, for a few, a few weeks. Um, and what I've seen in clinic are just, slowly increasing higher and higher and higher levels of anxiety and I think that's that's what we're all experiencing on a global national level that there's a kind of sea level rise in everybody's general anxiety and that's one of the things that I'd really want people to be thinking about at the moment Um, and we talk about flattening the curve of the cases but I really would like to be people to I'd really like people to be thinking about flattening the curve on the anxiety, right? Because in the same way as you get these really high peaks in the cases, so everyone hopefully has seen the, the graph, you know, at the peak of anxiety are things like catastrophizing, uh, paralysis because you, you don't know what to do, or impulsivity, all of which are quite dangerous uh, if you need to think rationally and make good decisions. Um, at the bottom of anxiety is a kind of blasé attitude where nothing really matters, you can do what you like, and that puts us all at risk as well. So there's almost a way in which we need 
a kind of middle way, which is you need to be aware enough to keep yourself safe and do sensible things, but not so inundated with an information that it kind of paralyzes you and makes it impossible for you to think straight. Um, so one of the things that I have very much been advising my clients is really, really, really to limit the news outlets that you're following and the number of times that you're checking it in the day. Um, and I think there's a way in which people feel like, or they hope that getting more information will make them feel safer. You know, the more that I know, the, 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 the better edge I will have, the better decisions I can make and the safer I will be. But the reality is, is that what you're getting is not more information because the information comes in, in kind of from the official announcements at the end of the day from Boris, right? That's the information you should be listening to or wherever this goes out to that your official outlets for information. Everything else is opinion, conjecture, supposition and anxiety. So actually, if you're constantly scrolling through other people's opinions, you know, their takes on it, how it's affecting this industry, how it's affecting that industry, da, 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 da. all you're doing is filling yourself up on other people's anxieties. And you don't have the space for that right now, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe at other times in your life, you can do that, but we don't have the space for it right now. And what I'm really speaking to my clients about is, you know, you need to clear, we need to have a spring clean of your brain of other people's anxieties. And then we need to think quite clearly about how we manage yours. Um, so I would be saying, no, you really don't need to be constantly scrolling through Twitter, you know, downloading the news apps and, and turning on all of the notifications uh, and then having like rolling news on in the background that is not going to help you. You want to choose maybe one or two official updates and check them no more than twice a day, right? So maybe once in the morning and then once in the afternoon, not just before bed, please don't do that. <laughs> um, uh, so that you are limiting the kind of windows in which you're exposing yourself to this kind of anxiety. And then after that, so once you've got, you've got yourself into a habit of kind of almost news hygiene, you know, you've kind of tidied that up a little bit then you want to focus on the things that you can control. Um, and that's, I think, hugely important at the moment because so much of this situation is uncertain and it's out of our control and we feel powerless and we feel helpless. And, and there's a huge loss involved in losing that sense of predictability and certainty in your life, you know, so that in all other, I was looking tomorrow, I was supposed to be having lunch with a friend and we'd booked it a month ago. And, you know, at that time, we thought we could predict where we would be in a month's time. And we thought we could rely on the fact that we'd be able to make that meeting. And we can't now. Um, and that is, is happening on an extremely intense level for everybody around the planet that we don't even know where we're going to be next week. You know, this time last week, I saw a client in person. Now, whew, not a possibility can't even leave my house twice a day right mm -hmm. so that things are changing so so rapidly and i think there can be a tendency for people to want to grasp on and hold on to a sense of certainty um but actually what's needed right now which isn't easy but is is i think necessary is a kind of surrender to the uncertainty and the things that you absolutely can't control because you will hurt yourself trying to control them or telling yourself you can control them but and then um, to balance that a focus on the things that you can control so you can control your routine 
you know you can control what time you get up whether you go outside you know get some natural light get some fresh air get some movement all of those are going to be really good for you physiologically in managing your stress um, you can control well to a degree what's on the shelves but you know what you eat but making sure you're having you know regular meals as nutritious as possible because again essentially a a, a well-nourished brain can tolerate stress much better that's what we know you know so if you're undernourished you are going to experience more stress and you're going to suffer from it more than someone who is kind of better nourished so that's what you can control you can as i say control the amount of information that you're taking in uh, and to limit that as a source of stress you can control you know the other thing is it, we don't it doesn't all have to be suffering so i would be recommending people watch comedy shows like watch things that you enjoy you know you're allowed to laugh this is awful it's scary it's frightening but you are allowed to have some moments of normality and they are going to be so important for anchoring you in this time, which feels very, very unsettling. Um, so those are kind of some, oh, and sleep, right? And making sure that you're maintaining a good sleep routine, because again, the, the worse your sleep or the more underslept you are, the greater your sense of paranoia, the greater your sense of anxiety. So we're already anxious. We don't want you feeling even more anxious. So making sure you're, or at least trying to keep a good sleep routine is really going to help with that physiological and psychological resilience to what's happening to us at the moment. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I love that you've brought up watching comedy because I'm pissed off with Netflix right now. Every time I log in, it just wants me to watch the show called Pandemic. Piss off. <laughs> I do not want to watch a show or a documentary or whatever it is called Pandemic. Let me watch Friends and just... Watch reruns of Friends. Like just... watch re I know how problematic it is, but right now it's familiar and that's what I need. It's, well, I think that's really important. Like, take yourself back, even if it's for half an hour, to a place that feels familiar and safe. Like we will all need these anchors of safety. Um, and I say anchors because I, I feel like we are a bit at sea, right? We're all feeling a little bit lost. We're treading water. We're not really sure what's happening. Um, things could change in a moment. We kind of hit this massive Corona iceberg and nobody really knows what's going on. Um, but that these parts of your routine, these parts, these things that feel familiar, these things that feel comforting, these moments of connection with your community are the things that are going to give you a sense of stability when everything feels 
unstable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm so pleased that you brought up sleep. I personally am sleeping more than ever at the moment and I'm telling myself it's okay because I need it. Um, but let's talk about sleep. Mm. Can you explain what a chronotype is and how it <laughs> informs how much sleep we need and when we need to be getting that sleep? Yes. So your chronotype is your general tendency to be an early riser or a lark, as we call them in the literature, or a late riser, which um, are called owls, you know. So morning larks, night owls, morning people, evening people. um, And the tendency can also be called morningness or eveningness. And so your larks are your your traditional up at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. people, bright and breezy feeling fantastic like the people you don't want to be around if you've got a hangover like hello (laughs) those are your larks um they feel great first thing they feel most sharp first thing their brain is ticking over very nicely they feel very efficient and um productive at those times um then your your night owls have a later there's like a phase shift in their circadian rhythm so that all of those things happen for them but later in the day so they might wake up, they might feel best waking up around eight or nine, and then actually their brains are kicking in around 11 o'clock, or maybe even later. Some people um, are extreme owls, might kick in, you know, some people feel most productive around midnight, and actually then they're getting their eight hours sleep from something like midnight till eight or two till 10 or whatever. Uh, it can um, vary between individuals, but it's stable within individuals because it's predominantly genetically encoded so if you are a morning person you are a morning person Um, and if you're a night owl you are a night owl and you can do little things you can kind of shift it around the edges but you fundamentally if I'm an I'm an I think I'm an in the in the middle person but I think I tendency to tonight um I cannot make myself a morning person just by forcing myself to get up at five or six in the morning um because what will happen is that my brain will be fighting me it wants to be asleep it doesn't want to be up doing stuff um and so and what will happen is that i will have pushed myself out of a time when i should be getting good sleep so actually i'm, I'm depriving myself of good sleep i'm making my brain work harder because it's working harder there's higher perceived effort which means everything is just a bit more tiring and i'm a bit more miserable so it's there's no real benefit in trying to force yourself to be a morning person if you're not a morning person um the difficulty with that is that our society is very much built around morning people so whether that's school opening times or whether that's work start times people really depending on their commute need to be up around half six seven um, in order to be starting their days and that works very well for for larks it doesn't work great for teenagers who all when we're teenagers we all shift into being owls um or kind of naturally uh, owl adults I interviewed someone yesterday who, and she said her son was still in bed and it was two o'clock when I interviewed her. And I was like, I remember those days. Right? <laughs> oh my you God. weren't being lazy. It was just, this is what happened. It was your body just shifts you. It was my like, chronotype. Yeah. At that point. <laughs> That's what um, let's talk a little bit about physical activity and mm. how uh, it can impact our brain and our overall health. Currently, mm. 
I am trying to go out for very kind of distanced walks. And honestly, I don't know how I would maintain my mental health if I wasn't allowed to go for a walk. Mm. So what is it about physical activity that kind of benefits our brain health and mental health so much? So many things. (laughs) Right. So first up, um, exercise can improve your sleep quality. Um, and so, and sleep quality is so good for the brain. I'm like, there's so much about why sleep is good for the brain. Um, good sleep can help uh, protect you against dementia and so forth. So first up, exercise helps improve your sleep. And, and the knock-on effects of that is that good sleep is good for the brain. Second of all, aerobic activity, any movement that gets your heart pumping, helps to keep those tiny blood vessels that keep your brain supplied with nutrients and oxygen, energy, um, flexible and open and obviously we want that to happen because the more um, your brain can get access to those things the better it can function the better it can protect itself the better you will feel and so and and you get protection against things called uh, something called vascular dementia which is uh, the kind of dementia that occurs when those blood vessels get tight or blocked um, and then the brain damage that occurs from that um, with resistance exercise so we you know we hear a lot about aerobic exercise um but with resistance exercise what happens is that the same chemicals so when you lift weights you release a whole bunch of growth factors that help your muscles to repair and grow stronger the next time those growth those same growth factors help your brain to build new connections which is incredible because what we it's so good (laughs) and that's really important because what we do know is that your brain starts to shrink by about one percent a year from yeah it's it's not great Um, from about your 50s and 60s right um and and that's considered normal i think i say in the book that i don't think you should consider it normal but it's considered normal um but that shrinking is associated with the kind of normal in inverted commas uh, forgetfulness we get as we get older so oh you've forgotten where you put your keys at all it must be my age but actually that's associated with uh, loss of brain volume and what we know is that regular exercise can increase your brain volume by about one or two percent so if you're a regular exerciser you can effectively be reversing brain aging so it's really, really important. Um, and then I guess a final point, if you need more reasons to move, um, is that, and perhaps people have heard a lot about inflammation. I talk about inflammation a lot in the book, the, the body's immune response, which is fine when it's in a normal, uh, acute and self-regulating state, but not good if it goes on for a very, very long time and, and isn't checked. Um, and then uh, because what can happen is that that inflammation in the body can trigger inflammation in the brain and that's called neuroinflammation and neuroinflammation is associated with things like depression like uh, multiple sclerosis like dementia all sorts of neurological conditions Um, and what exercise can do is to take out of the bloodstream toxic compounds that occur in the body when you're in in a state of chronic inflammation so it can simply kind of soak up compounds that would otherwise hurt the brain so 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 many reasons why exercise is really important for the brain and that's one of the reasons that i say we should be thinking about whole body mental health because we 
we're moving away from the idea that you should exercise just to be thin or just because of aesthetics. Um, and people perhaps find it difficult to then be motivated because we're so used to being motivated to move because of that, which is a real shame because mm -hmm. we'd like people to be moving because it feels good and it gives them a sense of autonomy and it, it makes them feel strong and whatever. But perhaps if it's helpful to think if I'm moving, I'm protecting my mental health, not just now, but for years to come, then maybe that's a, a bit more a healthy motivation for people. Um, to, to think about getting out, even if it's just for like a five, 10 minute walk. Absolutely. I think that will resonate for, for so many people. So is it about kind of, especially at the moment, like finding exercise that you love and that makes you feel good and just doing it when you can? It's always about that. I, you know, it's always about doing the things that feel good for you and that are sustainable. But it's also about making the point that some of the most startling and some of my favorite research has been around the impacts of just walking and how a 10 20 minute walk can reduce people's risk of dementia by 10 20 sometimes 40 percent so it doesn't have to be extreme it doesn't have to be intense it doesn't have to be high impact basically every time you move your body gets a boost your brain gets a boost you know your, your brain likes you to move and so any movement that you do and that you enjoy and that you can do on a regular basis is going to be doing your brain some good except being hit in the head <laughs> which is so in the book um i talk about the the risks that come with things like um boxing and and other things where you have a high risk of concussion so that's really the the, the only downsides of, of body contact sports is the risk then of um brain damage but that's a, you know it's a smaller population so okay cool um let us talk a little bit about food and nutrition mm. um i think it's something that my listeners i think my listeners are pretty clued up when it comes to their own nutrition and the kind of things mm. that they they should be eating but i'd love to talk a little bit about the gut brain axis which again might be a kind mm -hmm. of nice way of looking at this kind of thing like physical activity from a different angle so could you talk to mm. us a little bit about the gut brain axis yeah so the gut brain axis is the term given for the structural and functional connection between the brain and the gut um, and so the brain and the gut can communicate with each other in a few different ways so sometimes that's through the compounds that our gut bacteria make so they can make um vitamins for us they can synthesize neurotransmitters for us they can help us digest certain things and those things can travel in the bloodstream um, and you know communicate with the brain but the main form of uh, communication between the brain and the gut is a, a long beautiful nerve called the vagus nerve um, and it is <sighs> It's, it's fantastic. I love it. My favorite nerve, if I don't <laughs> have a favorite nerve. Um, and what it does, so it kind of goes, it comes down from the base of the um, skull and it goes down, it kind of loops down the back of your throat, down the back of your voice box, uh, into your heart, into your lungs. It controls or influences your heart rate and your breathing rate. It connects into the liver and the stomach, the kidneys, and then finishes down in the gut. And this is the main point of communication, the main structural form of communication. Um, and I would say, if you think about it as a motorway with 10 lanes, if you think about this nerve as this 
motorway between your brain and your gut, then about seven or eight of those lanes are going upwards. So most of the nerves are going from the body to the brain. The brain is always monitoring and getting information about what's happening in the body. So it's not just the brain is telling the body what to do. The body is relaying back information to the brain that the brain then has to synthesize and make sense of and then make actions of. Um, the other thing about the vagus nerve is that it's the main structural component of what's called the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, and that is the opposite. So most people have heard of the fight or flight system. You know, the thing that kicks in when we feel anxious, when we feel worried, when we need to kind of get away from danger. And the opposite of that is the parasympathetic nervous system or the rest and digest system. So that's what kicks in when we're in a state of relaxation, a state of calm, peace, when we want to eat um, and when everything is okay. And the thing about these two things, these two systems is that they, they can't work at the same time. It's like a seesaw. Like only one can be in control at the same time. And so if you're stressed and anxious and in a fight or flight mode, you won't be able to digest your food properly. And it's one of the reasons that we see such a strong relationship between stress and conditions like IBS right? Because you're trying to do two opposing things at the same time. You cannot be stressed and try to eat. Your body it has lots of different re responses to stress that make digestion kind of impossible. Um, and so it's one of the reasons that people really need to get around the idea that if, for example, they're having lots of gut symptoms, it might not necessarily be about the food. It might be about what's happening emotionally for them or in terms of their anxiety. So we really would be thinking about how you're managing your stress, what's going on for you, what state are you, are you in before you eat, and are your symptoms, do your symptoms go away when you're on holiday, but they're only there when you've got a big, you know, presentation to give at work. So there's, there's really beautiful ways in which they're related, and I think it's really helpful for people to know that there's this really strong connection between these two things. Mm, I love that. I think that will resonate with so many people. If someone's listening and thinking, I really want to get help, but I have no idea where to go for mm. said help and also you know there are so many stories of people who really need therapy and and help from psychologists mm. who just aren't able to access it if they don't have the money because it can be super expensive what's your kind of go-to advice for, for that it's really really tough um and our provision for mental health treatment is not great and has been really cut back in the last few years. So even when I was training, um, NHS psychotherapy services were being cut by 30%. And these are treatments that have been shown to work, um, are effective for treating depression, and yet they're kind of the first thing to go when money gets tight. So I, I really, I really understand that it's very, very difficult. Um, the first thing would be is, you know, always try and speak to your GP because you might get lucky. It's very much a, a postcode lottery. You might get lucky in that maybe there's really good provision in your area. Quite often the third sector, the voluntary sector is available and there might be very good voluntary prov provision. Um, so that's a good place to try. Um, the other place is actually to try and speak to, um, so first your GP, then charities like Mind um, 
and other local community charities, often ones that are associated with your council will have information about whether they offer uh, therapy. And then also it's always worth speaking to training organizations. So um, you might want to go and speak to, for example, um, let's say the British Council of Psychotherapy, um, because what they do when their trainees are, have had a few years of experience of training, so late stage trainees, third or fourth years, they will need to get clinical experience. And in order to do that, very often they will work for free or at very low costs. And so you can get access to affordable therapy that way if you go straight to either the organization um, sometimes they may ask you to go to your GP, but often you can go direct to them. Um, on my, for people in London, on my Instagram, I have um, a highlight which has uh, resources for low and uh, low cost and free therapy in London. But I would try those areas, those three kind of ideas awesome. first. I think lovely and I, I should i should say at this point that if you don't yet follow kimberly on instagram please do because she's got one of the best accounts out there in my humble opinion if anyone cares for my opinion <laughs> kimberly please tell me what are your three kitchen essentials these are three ingredients that knowing you have them in your kitchen make you feel more relaxed about life um garlic plenty of garlic um chili and lemons Brilliant answers. How do you feel about a quick fire round? Let's go for it. Quick fire with Kimberly. <sighs> Breakfast, lunch or dinner? Breakfast. Green tea or coffee? Oh, that's surprising. Green tea. Walk or run? <laughs> run. Croissants or pancakes? Oh, ah, pancakes. Jam or marmite? Jam. Lemons or limes? Lemons. Chili or garlic? <laughs> Chili. <laughs> sorry, garlic. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Cupcakes or brownies? Brownies. Scones or scones or crumpets? Crumpets. Banana bread or carrot cake? Banana bread. Victoria sponge or coffee and walnut cake? Ugh, coffee and walnut cake is the worst. <laughs> that was really a funny story. Was that in the audition for um? for Bake Off, they basically make you go through the, all of the all of the challenges. And so you end up at one point having to make a recipe of Paul's and a recipe of, of Mary's. Um, and Mary's was um, a coffee and walnut cake. And I couldn't even taste it. I was like, I hate it so much. <laughs> I can't believe you did that to Mary Berry. That proves how much you hate it. Custard creams or bourbon biscuits? Bourbons every time. Books or podcasts? Books. What we eat or what we think? Wow. Ah, <laughs> oh, can I pass? You can pass. <laughs> Omega three or magnesium? Omega three. Chocolate or nut butter? Chocolate. Talking or taste buds? Talking. Oh no! Ooh. Who am I? <laughs> I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> this game can have that effect right <laughs> penultimate question what okay. feeds your soul this doesn't have to be something food related but it's something that makes you feel more uplifted about life um i really love um seeing you know when people have 
are pushing for their dreams or they're pushing for their goals. You know, when you'll see a video where someone has, I don't know, like they've not been able to do a cartwheel or play an instrument and they give you a little kind of montage of their progress and they've done it. Or I saw one um, on Twitter the other week, which was someone 10 years ago standing outside, I think Pixar or something saying, one day and then 10 years later she was saying day one and it was like wow you know that you had this dream you had this goal you achieved it it's that those little moments of when you see the little spark of the human spirit I just I love them I love that that's such a good answer and finally what is your death row dinner starter main and dessert starter I guess I would probably maybe go for some sort of seafood and maybe some mussels or yeah maybe like something like that or maybe like just some lovely like hot smoked salmon and a bit of hollandaise and a few little pickles like something like that um main would be pasta puttanesca um it's just my favorite comfort food it was like saucy and like pungent and salty and also pasta so uh that would be my main or maybe um pasta and meatballs something like that and then dessert what's my favorite dessert um i have so many <laughs> <laughs> um possibly something like a very good chocolate mousse with a spiced shortbread mm. I love that. <laughs> that's the <a> baked <laughs> finalist coming out right now i love it kimberly thank you so much for giving us so much information and also so much joy it's been such a no treat to talk problem. to you my pleasure thank you for having me Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please do check the show notes for links to Kimberly's book, her podcast and social media. And if you're new here, please do subscribe, rate and review. I'll see you back here next week for a brand new conversation. And until then, I hope you are well and safe and I'm sending you lots of love. See you soon. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 